I've been thinking and praying a lot and studying and uh, asking for some direction, uh, especially for this morning. And I, I've prepared a message throughout the week, and, and I, I've just been feeling something that was telling me to scrap it. And so, uh, through yesterday and last night and this morning, um, I just feel like I want to go in a different direction. And I don't know why it gets so uh, emotional about this. Uh, I think it has to do with, uh, because this strikes a chord in my life and a chord in, in what I'm going through. And 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 accord in what I see my church go through, and accord of what I see it strikes something in what our world's going through. And so I think what I'm going to do is uh, there's going to be no screens behind me because I didn't prepare any of that. If you want to follow along, so what's been on my heart, and I've referenced it a couple times in the last couple messages. If you have a Bible or, or a cell phone with you, it's got a Bible app on it, you can go to Psalm 27. Because I feel like that's where I need to center down on a little bit this morning. And I've been studying some things and reading some things and listening to some things. And so I just want to give you a conglomeration. A lot of the stuff isn't original with me. I don't want to take credit for anything, but I just want to pass on um, some things that I'm praying will be helpful, and, and I hope you walk away feeling like I'm feeling right now. Father, I ask in this moment that you'd give me grace to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain that mystery. Jesus, I ask in this moment that you would work with me as I preach to confirm your word by signs and wonders within us. Father, my prayer in this moment is that you would put a century at my lips that I wouldn't say things that are counter and contrary to your word and your will and your character, but that you'd open my lips. And I pray in this moment that those who listen and hear would in a way that, <laughs> that we can handle it, because we can't handle all of it, but in a way we can handle it, we come in contact with you, Almighty God. Father, I ask in this moment and the moments that come after, that you would put a, your angels around us to guard us and protect us, that they lift us up in their hands, that we not even struck our foot against a stone and give us the authority to tread on the lion and the cobra and trample on the great lion and the serpent and in no way be harmed. And that in this moment, keep every devil and demon away so that we can hear rightly your word and walk with the confidence and the assurance that your people of old did. 
in this moment. Amen. I'm going to talk about this in the weeks to come because something has really been, been striking me. Did you know that heaven and earth were never intended to be separated from each other? Man was never created to be distanced from God, and eternity was never designed to be distracted or removed from our reality. Now, your reality may have presented itself to you that heaven and earth have been separated, that there are two different realities. Your reality and your experience may be that eternity has nothing to do with your current reality. Your experience may have showed you that you are separated from God and, and, and it's hard to get to him. And it's hard sometimes for him to get to you. And that may have been your experience, but that's not and should not be your reality. So what is our reality supposed to be? To understand what our reality is supposed to be, we've got to go not to our experience, but to scripture. Now here's the danger in that. Can I tell you the danger in that? The danger in that is this. That you can, take, you can take one verse and draw a lot of conclusions about both your reality and who God is from one verse. And that's dangerous because if you don't know the whole of Scripture and you don't know the totality of Scripture and what God has said from the, from, from, from the table of contents to the maps, if you don't understand the totality of it, you can be led astray by one verse. By one verse, we can believe that retribution ought to be in accord with the offense. Because after all, one verse says that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth with one verse. By one verse, you can walk away thinking you have to be politically correct and not say anything to offend anybody, even if it is the truth. Because one verse says, live at peace with everybody. So I don't have the right to offend anybody with one verse. With one verse, you can justify just about any sin that you want to get involved with. You can justify alcoholism with one verse. Because after all, the Bible says, take a little wine for your stomach. The psalm says, God made the fruit of the vine wine to glad men's hearts. You can, you can justify anything you want with one verse. You can justify fornication and sex outside of marriage with one verse. Because after all, the Bible says, it's not good for one man to lay down alone. How would he warm himself up? But if two lay down together... They're going to be all right. <laughs> every prejudice, every ism that ills our land could be justified with one verse. And so we have to look at what God has said replete through scripture rather than taking one verse. And so we have to ask ourselves, what has God said? From Genesis through Revelation, what has God said since the time time began till the culmination of all time? What has God said over and over and over? What has he said? One of the things that God has said over and over and over is that his mercy is profound. You and I don't really reap all that we have sown, praise God. We don't really reap every seed that we've planted in the ground. We know that God's mercy is profound because the Bible says all throughout scripture that his mercies are new every morning and he doesn't hold our sins against us. 
That's what the Bible says, not just one verse. The Bible says all throughout scripture that God is present and with us. His very name is Jehovah Shammah, which means God is with you. The name of Jesus was called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is with us and he will never leave us nor forsake us. When we walk through the fires, we will not be burned. When we go through the deep waters, we will not drown. Why? Because God is with us. That's what the Bible says, not just one verse. What does the Bible say throughout it all? The Bible says throughout it all that nobody is outside the grace of God. And there is no sin that's removed from the covering of his grace. If you come through faith in Jesus, no matter what you've done or who you've done it with, your sin can be covered by the grace of God. That's what the Bible says, not just one verse of it. There's another message all through the Bible. Replete through its God's word. I don't need it. I'm not using screens today. <laughs> another message that is all through the Bible are the words fear not. Don't you be afraid. From the beginning to the end of God's word, it's over and over and over. Don't you be afraid. When God called Abraham to leave his land and his family and his possessions and go to a land that God would show him, God told him, don't you be afraid. When Moses was called to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let God's people go, God told him, do you tell Pharaoh, or God told Moses, don't you be afraid. When Joshua was to take up the mantle of leadership on Moses' behalf after Moses was gone, God told Joshua, don't you be afraid. When Elijah was told to go to the prophets of Baal and do battle on the uh, Mount Carmel, God told Elijah, don't you be afraid. When God said, you go do battle with Queen Jezebel, that evil woman, he, God told Elijah again, don't you be afraid. When the angel appeared to Mary and said, Mary, you will carry the Christ child in in your womb, though you've known no man. He told Mary, don't you be afraid. When the angels came to the shepherds in the field announcing the birth of the Christ child, they told the shepherds, don't you be afraid. When Jesus walked on the water to the people in the boat at night, they thought it was a ghost. He cried out to him, said, don't you be afraid. When the, when the, when the women went to the tomb looking for a body and they found no body, the angel told the women, don't you be afraid. When Jesus walked the road to Emmaus with two disciples, he told them, don't you be afraid. When Jesus knocked Saul off his donkey and said, Saul, you go into the city and talk to a man named Ananias, he told Ananias, don't you be afraid. All throughout scripture, over and over and over, Paul's words to his young protege, Timothy, when Timothy was getting to take up leadership of a church, he told this young man, though you are young, don't you be afraid. When Paul was on a prisonership, headed to Rome, caught in a storm that would be shipwrecked, that ship on the island of Malta, Paul told the sailors on that ship, don't you be afraid. And over and over and over in scripture, the one thing that God continues to tell his kids Fear not. Don't you be afraid. 
Why does God seem to carry this theme from beginning to end? Why is this what God says to us? Let me ask you this question. Have any of you ever been scared? Have any of you ever dealt with the feeling of fear for your own life? And not just for your own life. If you got kids for your children. Have any of you ever faced the feelings of fear and the dread of night and the terror that keeps you up and prevents you from sleep? If you have, that's why this word is all from Genesis through Revelation. Don't you be afraid. Because God understands. And God knows before we come to realize that the greatest weapon that he can introduce into the faith of his children is fear. God knows we're conditioned towards fear. We're conditioned towards worry. We're conditioned towards anxiety. Because our reality has showed us that our experience on earth is separate from God's kingdom in heaven. And because that has been our experience, though that's not the reality the way it should be, though that's been our experience, we live in fear of what is rather than the reality of what should be. Do you think when Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God, there was any level of fear or trepidation? No, why? Because it was perfect? No, because they were with God. And the devil knows if he can introduce fear into our lives in any love for any reason, what he knows is that is the wedge that will drive separation between us and the father. No matter your stage of life, you do have reason to fear. As a human, no matter your stage of life. I mean, children have reason to fear, right? They're afraid of the dark. They're afraid of the boogeyman. They're afraid of who lives in the closet when the door's shut. That's what children have every right to be, to, to be afraid. And that's why, you know, as kids, we hated going to bed with our, our hand hanging off. Right? Everything had to be under the covers. Because everything's under the covers and nothing get me, right? Except our head. Like, that was okay. So I understand, like, everybody, it doesn't matter stage life. Teenagers, adolescents, they got a reason to be fearful. They're fearful about all kinds of things. They're fearful of being left out. They're fearful of missing out. They're fearful of being different. They're fearful of being rejected. They're fearful of being left alone. They got a lot of reason to be fearful. You talk about adults. Do adults have reason to be fearful? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I wish I could go back to just being fearful of the boogeyman and not have my hand outside a bit. As adults, we got a lot of fears, man. We got a fear of a job. Like, am I going to have a job? Am I going to keep a job? Am my job going to lead me anywhere? Is it going to produce enough money for my future? If you're single and adult, you got a fear of am I ever going to get married? Is there anybody good left? How low do I have to lower my standards to get somebody? Right? No, I remember. No, it was, I mean, thank God she lowered her standards, but I didn't have to lower mine. I'm just saying. But that's the fear, right? I mean, if you're single, you know. I get it. You're single. You start looking around thinking, where the heck is all the good people? Because there's nothing but the dregs left now. I mean, how much of the bottom of the barrel do I got to scrape up here? As parents, 
You got any reason to fear? Huh. I tell you this much, man. I, when, when we had, you know, we got three boys. I remember multiple times talking to my parents. And they're sitting right there. Multiple times talking to my parents. When do you stop worrying about your kids? You know what they told me? Son, we still, we still we've got a lot of worries about you, boy. I just... <laughs> And I was talking to my friend Dennis on Friday night, and I said, Dennis, my parents are coming into town because it's my grandson's one-year-old birthday. And so, you know, that's going to be a good time. I said, I'm so anxious to talk to my parents and ask them, now that I'm 53 years old, have you stopped worrying about me? Because what I want to hear them say is absolutely, we don't worry about you anymore, because then I have some hope. (laughs) Now, my parents are godly people. And my mom knows how to trust God because she's married to my father. And so (laughs) what she said was this. Our worry, we're still concerned. But we've learned how to trust God with you. I hope I get there one day. Because what I know right now as a parent, when the thermometer says this, when when the friends say this, when you see the decisions going that way, nothing but fear takes over. And as we advance in years, when we get old, the fears just increase. Because then there's the fear, am I going to ever be able to retire? And when I do retire, am I ever going to be able to afford anything? There's the constant fear of finances and health. And then there's the never-ending fear of approaching death. Aren't you glad to be alive? There's no level of life that makes anyone immune to the sources and the causes of fear. There will always be on-ramps to your life where fear can enter your mind and your heart. Everyone has some reason to be afraid. That's why I'm so thankful for the Bible and what God has told me over and over and over and over and over again. Now, here's the danger. Though the Bible has said things over and over and over again, and some of you have been in church long enough, you know what the Bible has said, and God has told us over and over and over again. As you start growing and start becoming mature, and you start to question everything, thinking you know better than God, you start questioning what God has said over and over and and over. And the more you question what God has said repeatedly and repeatedly over and over and over, the more you are given to fear. Because you forget who God really is. So Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. Let me read it for you. This is, this is what it looks like in my Bible right here. I've been spending a lot of time. Like, God, what are you saying? The Lord, Yahweh, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me. Even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, one thing, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his, the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. The re one of the reasons why those words are so profound is because of the one who penned them on paper. When you understand that David and his writings go all throughout Psalms, and they over and over and over tell us that God is our refuge, our shelter, our help, our present help in times of danger. To not be afraid, to not be afraid in so many words because of who God. When you consider that it was him who pins those words. David faced a lot of reasons and a lot of times when he could have and should have been fearful. When he faced the bear in the plains, he was not fearful. When he faced the lions, he should have been afraid. When he looked face to face at the giant in the valley, he should have been afraid. When he spent his life on the run because the king wanted to kill him, he should have been afraid. When the kingdom was torn from his hand by his own son and spent more time on the run for his life, he should have been afraid. When his daughter was raped by her half-brother and his family was torn apart, he should have been full of fear. When he was facing the prophet of God, looking at the face of God because of the sin between he and Bathsheba, he should have been afraid. Oh, David knew what it was like to face times of fear. He'd been around the block. David lived a lot longer and a lot harder than us in this room. And he could have stayed awake at night, sleepless laying on his pillow that offered him no comfort, snuggled up in sheets and blankets that offered him no ease. He could have been greatly afraid. But consider what David says in Psalm 27, 1 through 6. In verse 3, he says, though all of this has been my experience on this earth. Verse 1, he says, I will not fear and I will not be afraid. And in verse 3, he says, I will be confident. And in verse 6, he says, I will praise God. He says, though I got enemies all around me and I got trouble all about me and I got pressures bearing down hard on me and my life ain't now what it ought to be. I will not fear. I will not be afraid. I will be confident and I will praise God. This is the ability of the Christ follower, understanding that heaven and earth are never intended to be separated, then they can be repaired, that I was never intended to walk this earth separate from the presence of God in and on my life. This is for those people who have that relationship with Christ who say, I don't care what others do, and I don't care what others say, and I don't care what the doctor, banker, boss tell me. 
I will not fear. I will not be afraid. I will be confident and I will praise God. Verse one says, just to remind you, the Lord is my light and the Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold, the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now watch this. I will not fear, David says, because why? Because I know who God is. Notice he doesn't say, I will not fear because I know what God will do, and I know when God will do it. I don't have some revelation that everything's going to be okay. God hadn't whispered in my ear through an angel that says, don't worry, I got this. The only reason I am not fearful is not because I know what God will do nor when he will do it, but because I know who God is. He is my light, he is my salvation, and he is my strength. What am I afraid of now? I feel like this is good stuff and you don't act like it is. (laughs) He is my light. Why does he use the word light? Because light is the antithesis of fear. If the devil can get you in the dark, he's got you. Why do we question in the dark what God has shouted in the light? The devil knows when he can make us believe that our future is dark, when he can make us believe that our finances are hidden, when he can make us believe that the resources are covered up, we fall into fear. We just got to know who God is. Not necessarily what he will do, nor even when he will do it. And that's where most of our prayers center. God, just let me know. Just tell me it is. Just let me know when. And the David says, the one who faced many fears in his life, grave dangers, said, I just need to know who you are. David would look at fear and he would say, who are you? that I would be afraid of you when I know who God is. Anytime you're fearful, you need to look at your fear and say, who are you, fear? Who are you that I should be afraid of you when I know who he is? And so what you do is you take what fear is, you take who fear is, and what fear is making you worried about, and you compare it to who you know God to be. And I know my God, my God is sovereign. My God sits high and lifted up on a throne. He is the God. He has orchestrated all things from here till time ends. My God is loving and nothing can separate me from my God. That's who my God is. My God's name is Jehovah Nisi, which means my banner. And the Bible says my, his banner over me is love. My God loves me. My God is omnipotent. My God is omniscient. My God is powerful. My God is mighty. My God is strong to save. My God parts waters. My God levels mountains. My God casts demons and sickness into pigs. And then drowns the pigs. That's who my God is. So when fear comes against you, you match your fear up to who God is. The first thing we have to answer is, do you know who God is? 
And then David says, not only will I not fear because I know who God is, but I will not fear because I know what God has done. Not what he will do, but I know what he has already done. Now look at the progression of problems David goes through in Psalm 27. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? Those are people. And don't you know, you got some evil, bad people around your world, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. You, you sitting next to them? No, don't raise your hand. Just think. <laughs> you got some tough people at work. You got some idiots in your family. You got neighbor. I mean, they're just, they're just, they're just bad. They're all around you. But look at the progression. Look at verse three. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not be uh, will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. The problems move from a person to powers, from a people to events. See, you can handle problem people. You can handle that, but how do you deal with perilous powers? How do you deal with perilous systems and events that come against you? Systems and prognosis and recessions and problems that are perilous and dangerous. When it moves from the world of the person to the world of an event of a system. David says, even when the powers that come against us, and the Bible says, beginning in, we don't just wrestle against flesh and blood powers. We wrestle against rulers and authorities and principalities in the dark, evil world. How do you wrestle against that? David says, even when those powers come against me, even when things turn against me, even when problems are stacked against me, even when demons come out of the darkness to approach on my life, even then I will be confident. Can you imagine? That word confident in verse 3 when David says that. You go back old school. There was this word called swag. Some people had it. You understand what I'm saying? They just had, they just had, it had a little something about them. It's had a little, uh, little, 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 little thing about their walk. Little thing about their presence. Little thing about who they were. It's had this aura about them. That's the understand, that's the connotation of confident. Walking around as if you know who God is. Walking around as if you know that he is with you and goes before you, that he has placed his hand upon you and is with you. Walking around as if you know, and there's no shout of the doubt. Whose you are. The Bible says we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If you walk around, no, I'm an heir of God and I'm a co-heir of Christ. You got a little bit of swagger to you. Not pride or arrogance. Because you know who you are, whose you are. See, our problem is most of us sit around waiting to to be defeated one day. That's our problem. Right? We just wait. We're waiting around for the other shoe to drop. That's our problem. But that wasn't how David lived. And that's not the reality of the kingdom that we're a part of. And that's not the reality of the people that we are. How did David have that confidence? I'll tell you how. He looked back. He looked back. Verse 2 says... When evil men, and, and rightly translated, and the, and the New King James Version does it better, 
It's a past tense. When evil man advanced against me in the past to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attacked, they stumbled and fell. So he's looking back. Before he looks ahead at the fear, he's looking back at the God. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah. He's looking backwards at what God had already done. See, when I face something now, what I do now is look back on what God has already done. And then I make a prediction that everything's going to be all right. Not because I know what's there, but because I know who's back there. You understand? Yeah. But so many times what happens when we fear, we get so focused on there. What's going on? How's it going to end? What's he going to do? How's it going to play out? That we quit looking back there at what he's already done. And David says, I will be confident and I'll walk around with a little swag. Not because I know that, because I know him. Amen. You understand? Oh, yeah. Am I hollering too much? No. <laughs> you look like you're scared. See, there's this thing that I've termed logical, reasoned, expect the logic of reasoned expectation. There's my words for it. So it goes like this. If I tell you I have four numbers in mind, four of them, two, four, six, and eight. See, you didn't know I had number eight in mind. I could have had, well, a lot of different numbers. <laughs> You don't get to give me suggestions of numbers. <laughs> he doesn't know. Tell him it's number 10. He's, hey, who knows? Why did you come up with eight? Because of logical reasoned expectation. Because I had showed you what I had already come up with. Two, four, six. So by logic reasoned expectation, you knew what was coming next. Not because you have some mystical powers to know the future. Not because you got some crystal ball that says that's going. Not because some angel whispered in your ear, hey, it's number eight. Because you knew by what I had already done, there was a logic of reasoned expectation based on what had happened of what was going to come. It's the same with God. We call it faith. Faith is not saying, I believe that will happen. Faith is saying, because of what he has done, I know that I can expect of him. See, big faith was Noah believing it was going to rain. Because when God said it was going to rain to Noah, it's in essence, God said, Noah, it's going to reap a fire real harbor. Yeah, what? Because it had never rained before. Right. And so when God said, no, it's going to rain, Noah had no idea what that meant. He just knew God was going to do something. And because of what God was going to do, he had to build a big old barge. So big faith believes God for something God has never done before in the history of humanity. That's big faith. Big faith is believing is Moses getting to the waters, believing God's going to part him. Because to that point, he had never parted them before. Big faith is when Joshua gets to the river, he knew what God had done before, part of the waters for Moses. But all of a sudden, he's looking at a river at flood states, and the waters weren't parting. Big faith was Joshua stepping in. And once he stepped in, the water stopped flowing 12 miles upstream, but it hadn't stopped yet. But big faith knew that he was going to stop it. Most of what we trust for doesn't require big faith. Because, of, because most of what we trust God for, he's already done somewhere. 
He's already done somewhere. And all we got to do in the midst of fear is look back at what he's already done. And because of who God is and what he's done back there, then I have confidence because of logical reason, expectation to know what is coming, even though I don't see it. So I will not be afraid. And I will not fear. And I will be confident because of the God in whom I praise. Do you understand? God may not have yet done it in your life, but it doesn't take big faith to believe that he will because of reasoned expectation. Because he's already done plenty in the past too. He's already done plenty in the past four. He's already done plenty in the past six. He's already done plenty in the past. So you know that is coming. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? I will be confident and I will go, will walk in this world with a little bit of godly swag to me. See, you saw a pattern of what had already been done, two, four, six, and you made a reasonable expectation of what was to come, eight. And that's what David did. So I got to be careful when I rewrite messages because I always go long, so... But we're still in lockdown. You can't go nowhere, so just hang tight. <laughs> Understand, this is what David says. Worship puts us in proper perspective to handle perilous problems. Worship puts us in a proper perspective to handle perilous problems. See, looking back on who God is in the midst of problems and perils, I just need one thing. David says, God, I just need one thing. God, I need one thing is what I, re- I don't have a laundry list. I don't have a Christmas list. I don't have a birthday list. I have one thing on my list. I have reasons to be worried and I have reasons to have sleepless nights, but I only need one thing. I don't need you to tell me the future. I don't need you to tell me the outcome. I just need one thing. And it's the same thing that you need, and it's the same thing that I need. We pray for answers. We pray for revelation. We pray that God lets us know. We pray that God comforts and stills our heart with knowledge. But what we need is one thing. One thing I ask of the Lord, verse 4, this is what I seek. One thing, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David said, if I can just get to you, if I can just get to your house, if I can just feel your presence, if I can just hear you talk to me, there's only one thing that I need, and the one thing that I need is you. See, the truth of what David is telling us is this. Living in the presence of God is greater than living in the absence of problems. Living in the presence of God is greater than living with the absence of trouble. And most often what we want is the absence of trouble and the absence of peril and the absence of problems because we think in that we will have safety and security. And what David tells us that we haven't yet understood is that those things may be, but I don't need to know that those things are God. What I need, God, is you one thing. If I can just 
Be close to you. He says, God, even if I'm in trouble, and even when the waters are getting up around my nose, and even when I have to trust you with my child, one thing, you don't have to convince me. You don't have to let me know. There's just one thing I need. And it's to be in your presence. Because I know if I'm in your presence, there you are. And so far, no matter the, how high the waters got, God hadn't drowned yet. And if I am with him, there's just one thing I need. And David says, I get to God by worship and praise. When in my secret place and in my corporate place, I get to worship and pray and praise and lift hands in submission and adoration. David says, in that place is when I come in contact with the one thing that I need, which is you. And I wonder if so many of God's people in God's churches live with the ever-present feeling and trepidation of fear because we have lost our ability, never developed our ability to worship, both in private and in public. Reservation kills the presence of God. If I can just get to your presence, something good is coming. Guys, you better come up here. <laughs> verse four says, the one thing I need is your presence. And it says that because verse five is coming right after verse four. And David says, if I can worship in verse 4, then the something good of verse 5 is right around the corner. And the good of verse 5 is this. For in the day of trouble, if I can just get you in the day of trouble, if I can just get to your presence in my day of trouble, if I can just be near, hear you, feel you in my day of trouble, verse five, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon him. He will hide me. Now, this is important. That word hide does not mean to put yourself behind a curtain so no one can see you, to hide in a closet so no one knows you're there, to be invisible. That, that's not what hide means. It's not hide and go seek so nobody can see you. They got to look for you. That's not what it means. To be hidden by God means you are still visible even to your enemies. But though you are visible even to your enemies, trials, troubles, and tribulations, they can't touch you. They can see you, but they can't touch you. They might still be, be in, your play, in your face, but they can't get their hands on you. They might still know where you are and where you live and where you sleep, but they can't lay a finger on you because you are hidden in the presence of God. And if I know that that is my threat, but I know that this is my God, I can walk behind my God with a whole bunch of swagger. Because I know they can't touch me. Do you know how big I look behind big Phil Brandt? He's a big boy. And I look real big behind him. I'll say anything to anybody behind my, my boy Phil. Because I know they got to get through Phil before they get to me. You understand what I'm saying? Little people get real big when they're standing behind big people. 
So though enemy, you can see me, you can't touch me. You can't slay me because God has his hand on me. And so I am in a place when I am with God where no weapon formed against me can stand or prosper. I'm in a place where everything in my life that you intended for evil works out for my good. I'm in a place in the presence of God where though a thousand fall around me and 10,000 at my right hand, it will not come near me nor my home. I will not fear. I will not be afraid. And I will be confident and I will praise my God. In uncertain times, here you need to hear, someone needs to hear this and take it to heart. In uncertain times, there you have now no reason to fear. If you dwell in the presence of God. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you can't dwell in the presence of God, you got all kinds of reasons to be afraid. And you can bow up all you want. And you can act like you got your stuff together and under control and nothing can touch you or harm you. That's fine. You act that way. You play a fool all you want, but the world's going to win. But we who are in Christ are more than conquerors. We don't just win. We destroy enemies. We just don't escape trials and troubles and tribulations. We tear down rulers and authorities and principalities. Why? Because we are more than conquerors. And greater is he who is in me than he and the fear that is in the world. And greater is he who is in you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, than he and the fear that is in the world. More than con- I will not be afraid. I will fear nothing and no one. Because I got some swag behind me and his name is God. And I will worship this. Listen, listen, listen. This is what you're yearning for. This is the culmination of all your desires. This is the sum total of all your need. This is the realization of all your wishes. Your desires, your wishes, your, they've all masqueraded themselves in the, behind the veil of other things. And so many of us have sought those other things. And when we seek those other things, we live in fear. Because what if it doesn't work out? What if it's taken away? What if it falls apart? This one thing is the sum total of what you've been wishing for, looking for, hoping for, and needing. It's the sum total of all. Ultimately, what you're looking for is Jesus. And those of you who have him, no fear. No fear. No trepidation. The Lord is the light in my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? I will be confident and I will praise this God who has already done it in the past. And all I need to do is look back at what he's done to be assured with reasoned expectation of what will. I don't need to know what's coming because I know God. Don't be afraid. You understand? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us no reason to fear and no reason to be afraid. That we can stand with great confidence in the midst of an uncertain world. In the midst of trials, pains, troubles, tribulations, confusion, doubt, pain that's all around us. And stand confidently. Not because we know exactly how things are going to turn out. Because we know with certainty who it is that has already gone before. 
There are people in this place, Holy Spirit, who need again to get back to one thing, you. So for you who need to get back to the one thing, I want to give you the opportunity in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own words, in this moment, one thing. Say, Father, I just want to be where you are. Jesus, I want my life to again be attached to your life. Just tell him, there's been a lot of things that I've sought after. There's been a lot of roads I've walked. There's a lot of confusion still in my life. There's a lot of unknowns. But more than any of the solution to that stuff, I want one thing, God. I just want you again. I just want you again. Jesus, I just want you again. And in you, I will be confident. In you, I'll be made strong. And in this moment, I will praise you as the leader of my life. Come back to one thing and walk without fear in this world. Father, we love you. You are good and you are great. We love you because you are mighty and majestic. We love you. And we choose as people to stand before you and the greatness of who you are. We don't need to know the future. We just need to be reminded of who you are. And so we stand in this moment with the knowledge of who you are and we will not fear and we will not be afraid because greater are you than the fear that is in the world. Amen. Amen.